Welcome to the Music Book Club, brought to you by Automatic Panic. In each episode, we choose an album, listen to it, and talk about it. I'm Andy Payne, with me is Azin Khan. Hello. And our guests today are the divine David Arvidsson Shakur and the majestic Max Roberts. How are you? Hello. Hey. I'm very well, Andy. How are you? Uh, yeah, doing pretty well. Uh, you know, nice uh, lockdown Sunday. Uh, this yeah. is about the best thing that you could hope to be doing. Absolutely, yeah. It's quite quite grey and overcast where I am. I don't know about you. Um, yeah, mist, misty. Yeah. To be to be stuck inside and to be talking about Springsteen is uh, <laughs> about the best way I can imagine spending a Sunday afternoon in lockdown. Absolutely. Uh, how are you, David? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. Thanks for thanks for inviting me. I, I've I've also just been out in the in the misting morning fog here in Cambridge and and I thought. I, I thought there was like a nice, nice fire burning somewhere, like in a, in a fireplace of one of my neighbor's furnaces or something. But then I realized that it's like a communal fire in the entire city of Cambridge because the temperature has recently dropped. So now everyone is cranking up their furnaces, trying to, to regain heat in their apartment. <laughs> so it ended up giving me a massive asthma attack by the end of the walk. But, but now I'm, I'm, I'm back in my kitchen, living room, and, and it's all good. Excellent. How are you, Azin? Yeah, I'm well too. Uh, like you guys are saying, it's kind of a great day. Classic sort of late, late autumn, early winter sort of thing. And yeah, there's not much better to do than sit around, listening to music, talking about music. And watch the world go by from from the window. I went outside to grab some food from the shops earlier, and it is freezing. So <laughs> I'm glad I'm <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, uh, without uh, any further ado, uh, today we are discussing Bruce Springsteen's "Darkness on the Edge of Town," released in 1978. So, uh, if you're listening and you haven't listened to the album yet, press pause now and go do it. Right, I think everyone is up to speed now and enjoyed those 10 tracks. Uh, how do you guys feel about the album? In a lot of these, I have lots of big things to say about all the albums because we've this, the idea behind this first season has been to, to pick albums that have influenced us as people and as artists. Um, mm. and, and so, of course, all of them are going to have this kind of profound influence. But this one in particular, I, whenever somebody might ask me, I think if somebody asked me what is my favorite album, it would be this one. Mm. Um, not not to say that the other ones are bad or whatever, you know. Like it, it, in the end, all of this is kind of probably depends on my mood, you know. Yeah. So, but like consistently, I keep coming back to it. It's, in my opinion, his best album and my favorite. Yeah, I'm just gonna go out and just be bold and say it's my favorite album. Yeah, I mean, I would I would agree. I think one thing that's really interesting about um, about darkness is that. The idea of it as a as an album as like a whole kind of thinking about an album like on a holistic level is that it just it has this kind of um this this story this arc that goes through it this kind of this pervasive tone that i think is like incredibly powerful and um what i find interesting is that you know as you sort of said it's it's your favorite album and i and i would agree is that i would i'd kind of say that actually it's not the case that every song on the album, I think, is one of my favourites. No, um, no, not at all. And um, thinking about it alongside um, The Promise, which is essentially an album of songs that didn't make it into darkness, 
is there's lots of songs on The Promise that I I prefer to some of the other songs that are actually on Darkness Asia Town. And yet I completely understand why those songs weren't picked and the ones that were were chosen because it just creates this kind of it's you know it's like thinking about chapters of a book and the 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 overall album is just this incredible kind of odyssey and mm. and that's what i this the experience i have listened to it is yeah i think unlike other albums i've ever really it's, listened it's to interesting before. that you said it's like chapters of a book because i've always thought that this album in particular is is like really steeped in Americana in that mm. respect. It's like it's a bit like reading a Carson McCullers novel. That's the it gives me the same feeling of, um, and it's a bit of a departure from his first three albums, which were very urbane. If that makes yeah. any sense, they were very much sort of based in cities. Um, whereas this one kind of pushes itself out into I don't know more suburban or rural parts. Of yeah, it's the, based in a car, right? It's it's based on on the on, on the go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's somebody tra- traveling through all the time. It's yeah. like, it's like if if you if you draw the arc from sort of album to album, um, you get this. So in Born to Run, the album before, it's all about trying to escape the city, and mm-hmm. this album it feels like they've escaped the city and they found out that it's not as good as what they thought it was going to exactly. be. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and like um, I think that I, you have to, you have to, kind of. I think if you talk about darkness, is you have to talk about it with respect to Born to Run. Um, and I think you're right, is that Born to Run, for so many reasons, is such an optimistic album. And even things like the album artwork, for example, like mm. that kind of black and white, the very crisp kind of font, the just sort of the the kind of cheeky smile that Bruce has, you know, leaning yeah, on. And then you open up the gatefold and it's got Clarence on the other side. Yeah, right. Yeah. Whereas something about darkness, which is... I don't want to say pessimistic, but it's more kind of realistic. It's more like we have escaped. We've we've got out. We've got out of this, you know, this um uh, this black and white town, and we've now realised where we are. And like, and then thinking about the artwork again is that sort of much more grainy kind of picture of him in sort Stark. of yeah, and just that and sort it of shows um, in, the mu- in the music as well, right? The yeah. Born to Run is like made with a wall of sound. They've overdubbed the crap out of it, and there's yeah. so much going on that you could listen to it a thousand times and you still hear new things. This one is very bare. Everything is right in your mm. face and and you it has space and it's yeah. dark in the same way. What do you think, David? Yeah, I agree in large, I think. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, we're in the beginning of this episode, so maybe I should just say, like, for me, Bruce Springsteen is kind of, it, it is music. It's At least it's modern music to me and, and and this is yeah this is the bruce album and and not in the way as you guys are pointing to like it's not necessarily the case although i would perhaps argue that badlands would be one of the absolute top there but, songs of bruce springsteen but, but, but i would say the- i would just say that it's not it's not stuff that like if somebody who isn't as into bruce as say say we are would just would never be able to name any of those songs mm. that's know, that's true born in the um, usa is crammed full of hits Uh, yeah exactly the river as well to some degree but exactly darkness it's like nobody will know i mean it's got some of my favorite songs on it but but it doesn't have that hit kind of potential it's definitely an album yeah when you start thinking about the lyrics and the music coming together and i think this is really what bruce springsteen and the e street band this is what they're about Mm -hmm. and darkness on the edge of uh, town has this kind of 
interplay between this absolutely amazing music and, and, and this quite realistic poetry mm. and, and, and the combination of these two things is just yeah. like an explosion right mm. uh, it's, uh, it, there's a there's it's, a there's a term that gets used a lot with springsteen's music and i think it's especially apt here and it's widescreen i've read it mm -hmm. a few times in different things when you kind of hear it in widescreen obviously it's really abstract like how can music be widescreen <laughs> but yeah <laughs> it kind of is it it has this like it has a kind of vista to it and that's partly Absolutely. the songwriting that's partly the the arrangements and the production but even even nebraska his album where it's just basically him and a guitar somehow has the same quality and i don't mm. really how i don't really know how he does it but it, he manages uh, it yeah I, I, that's a really interesting point and i think also it's kind of like a nice like thinking about like the kind of western influences mm. like the, the the american west influence mm. on bruce springsteen's music and like western movies of course being yeah like the quintessential kind of widescreen movies yeah. it's, it's it, it even more plays I mean, into this the first, uh, this first song on this album is called badlands badlands was a film with um martin sheen and sissy spacek um about the serial killer who went across nebraska i think and into the badlands of wyoming with his sort of they were both young and young and he killed i think 10 people along the way and it's a brilliant film and i think that, that, that it's also the inspiration behind the song nebraska of springsteen so he's clearly very inspired by this story and this film mm. um and it again it's the same it has these huge you know vistas of the american countryside and it it really ties together the two things it, it is interesting how how like um when you listen to I think Springsteen in general, but 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 very much this album is that there is this image of a place that just gets conjured in your mind, mm. um, and for me it's this, you know that you get those uh, highways in America that are just straight for miles and miles, and they're through like the desert. Every time I listen to that album, especially I think the Promised Land is the one that makes me feel that. Is I just picture myself yeah, in it's a even set, it's set in a desert isn't it Promised yeah Land. exactly and it has that and, amazing um, third verse where it becomes really kind of literate in a way you know he, there's a there's a storm brewing and there's mm. it's obviously a massive metaphor and everything and he drives right into it um you can see that being the kind of you he, he said that he used to watch tons of these kind of b movies yeah. Back, back back when he was writing this and born to run and they all had titles like thunder road and so on <laughs> you know and and he's clearly very inspired by all of this um yeah and sorry Andy, you're gonna you're gonna say something because i'm interested to know what you think because you're kind of an outsider in this way we have a kind of yeah absolutely free spring scene fan club and i, th I don't yeah. think it's been such a such a yeah what do you think Andy? <laughs> <laughs> no pressure <laughs> so uh yeah it's already i've got kind of a few reflections going back to what you were saying about you think about it holistically mm. and that is a theme that's come up all through this season of the albums that we've chosen and mm. this album slots straight into there the whole album it never lets up this um ability to kind of conjure mental images i know you were saying that uh, you kind of imagine it with the with the desert i kind of see like a rainy suburban wide streets mm -hmm. kind of like mm. going from dangerous places to mm. to another in there um and uh again yeah, i didn't know any of these songs before listening but now i've got like loads of these little like little bits of guitar riffs and vocal refrains uh going yeah. on uh in my head like organ sounds in the background um so as i was saying that you know it's, it's his favorite album obviously i'd never heard this one before i didn't uh, i barely know bruce springsteen obviously i know i know three bruce springsteen songs 
Uh, obviously born in the USA. Mm-hmm. Everyone on the planet knows that. Uh, I know Santa Claus is coming to town. <laughs> and <laughs> I know I'm on fire. And that was because Azin said, oh, I've got this idea for a song. I'm kind of vibing I'm on fire. This kind of like uh, smoldering thing mm-hmm. rather than like a big lift and drop like, you know, a normal uh, verse chorus structure. So um, to listen to this all the way through, it's uh, it really works as a, as a piece. And... Um, all the way through it's not a collection of individual songs as much as it is different um chapters in the same story and obviously then each and then this makes up a nice addition that you're kind of you, mm-hmm. you're talking about it in context of, of springsteen's work um but yeah i mean the the influence that it has on as in uh you can hear it now, i now right? under, i now understand <laughs> what wacky and the smoke machine was all about because yeah. it's like i just i just hear it i hear the organ and i'm like oh yeah and the piano in rock music which was something that i just didn't know about until uh, like I now hear oh, 1978, this is proper like cutting edge uh, rock mm. at the time. Mm. Yeah, there's piano and organ and all these great saxophones. sounds, and the guitar is doing mm. yeah saxophones exactly. It's uh, um, it it made me understand a lot of kind of where Adam was coming from when I first met him and we first started playing together. So it's been uh, it's actually been genuinely enjoyable. On the subject of actually uh, Santa Claus is coming to town, th- his voice just puts me in a Christmassy mood. So <laughs> it's very much uh, <laughs> it, I, it, it, listening to this. It, it, that's that's why I think it's more like um kind of suburban roads, dangerous kind of like driving mm. in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> and it would, it would be hilariously awkward if having listened to it for the first time this morning, you absolutely hated it. Asin's favourite album, just terrible. And this this podcast was like the beginning of the end of Automatic Panic. Like, so just a massive argument. And um, I, I want to pick up on a, a couple of points that I think of that people mentioned. And, and David, you mentioned about how like that the lyrics and and the poetry of of the lyrics is so strong and um thinking again about about Springsteen's um previous albums is that especially in his first two albums is the lyrics are much more kind of abstract and you mm. know there are there are these there are a lot of them do- as well yeah like, right and, and, and like and even, think of blinded by the light right like there are more lyrics in that first verse than like it, most albums have <laughs> exactly and it's quite trippy and it's quite like there is it's very sort it's of more 70s. r&b than rock yeah, right. And even even Born to Run is like um there are obviously kind of stories and characters but kind of you know a song like Jungle Land for example, the last song on Born to Run, there is this sort of mystical quality to it that mm. these kind of characters you don't quite know who they are or what they're doing what 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 do all these lyrics mean and there's this kind of sense that there's something kind of higher about the meaning mm. to it. But when with darkness it's Darkness's lyrics are so grounded and a song like Factory, which is basically the song is about a guy going to work at a factory. Like that's literally what the song's about. <laughs> and it's just great. And like it's it's incredibly powerful. And yeah. and it and, it, and the album itself is as you say, focus is extremely focused. And like you were saying, there's a whole other album of stuff that was never released for yeah. the promise. Um, which is also amazing. And I, I read somewhere, maybe from him himself. That he'd written about fifty songs in this period. I think it, I think it was about seventy. I think it, it might have been more. Yeah, absolutely exactly. crazy. He, yeah, you can churn out a song in about five minutes. Um, <laughs> and then he had to like really pare it down. And some of them he knew were really good songs, so he sort of pushed them into other artists. So he wrote uh, "Because the Night," which became a hit for Patti Smith in this period for Darkness. You can really hear it. It sounds for me, it's very similar to "Prove It All Night." The, the, the songs share a lot of DNA. Mm. So he sent it over. He, he knew he wasn't going to put it in this album. But then he sent it over to Patti Smith, who I think was recording in the 
the studio next door, so they knew each other. And mm-hmm. she sort of she she you know added some lyrics and made it her own. Um, mm. But he still plays it live from time to time now. Yeah, it's so good. Mm. So how did you guys get into Springsteen and this album? So I have a bit of a kind of an embarrassing story and and I remember I was probably about 16 or 17 and I hadn't really come across Springsteen. I'd heard Born to Run, I think. Um, And my mum said to me, Max, I've got tickets to go and see Springsteen play live in Hyde Park. This This was before, this was probably 2008 or something like that. And I was at that age when I thought that anything that my mum thought was cool could not possibly be. So I was like, <laughs> no, I don't want to come with you to see Spr- what are we talking about. And this was when Clarence Clemens was still was still mm. around and still playing. And I, I didn't go. I said I didn't want to go. I, I you know I had better things to do. And um and then probably about a year later, I remember very vividly being on a bus and I still had like my old iPod, uh, which I still have and I still treasure. And uh, I remember I'd downloaded, I downloaded some Springsteen songs because I think, you know, my mum had it on her iTunes or something. And I remember thinking, I, I should kind of get into it because I've heard, I've heard Springsteen's really good. I remember listening to Dancing in the Dark and being like, oh crap, this is really good. And then just kind of going on a bit of a Springsteen sort of binge, really. Um, and I remember, I think the album that, we had on had on my iPod was the greatest hits album. And so it probably wasn't until I don't know, a year a year later that I kind of properly discovered darkness. It probably was because Asin told me about it, I I would I would imagine. And um mm. just listening to the whole whole album just from start to finish. And just being incredibly moved by it and kind of just feeling you know that that kind of feeling when you see a, watch a film or you read a book or you listen to a, to a, a song or an album and you just feel slightly unnerved, like mm. somehow this particular piece of work is like kind it affects of you somehow. It's it somehow reached out and like mm. kind of knocked you off your chair slightly. You don't quite know how it's happened. I had that kind of feeling with it. How about you, David? I mean, it's interesting how like uh, both um, Max and I have like some kind of a relation to Bruce that comes from our mothers because for me it's like very there's, much there's something Freudian in there isn't right? it? yeah exactly <laughs> and there the really is uh, and um, I mean so my mom uh, who, who, who's Swedish through her like entire life she, she's been listening to Bruce Springsteen and she's been going to concerts and when I was a small kid uh, I would you know like stay with my grandparents when my Uh, mom and other relatives went off to see Bruce Springsteen uh, at concerts and so like I kind of like I always knew who Bruce was but like I wasn't that this definitely wasn't the type of music that like I as like a six or seven or eight or nine year old kid would listen to but but as a kid I started playing in, in, in brass bands I played the tuba which which I mean this is a story for another podcast episode <laughs> I but, would love to hear that story uh, but like Bruce Springsteen was when you know when 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 I kind of started to get into the teenage years and like the traditional children's brass band music wasn't really the the type of music you you you, you want to listen to Bruce Springsteen mm-hmm. was like the the artist who managed to combine like non-traditional rock instruments or at least things that I then didn't consider as rock instruments, like you guys were saying, there were piano in his songs, but there were also tuba in like a bunch of his songs. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, and then he did this, uh, this tour with the Seeger Session Band, 
And, and uh, I think that was the first time when I told my mom, like, I'd like to come with you. So my cousin and my mom, uh, I think my aunt, my uncle, also, we drove up to Stockholm and saw him in the Globe Theater. And, and, and that was just like super, super impressive. Uh, and it's, it was funny, like one of my uncle's friends who, who, who shall be named, uh, remain unnamed. He was working for, uh, one of the old vinyl shops in Stockholm, but what this vinyl shop also does is that they, they do illegal recordings of, of, of concerts. So he had like, uh, he had, a, he had a bootleg, yeah. I don't know what you call it, but like audio recording equipment strapped to his legs and like uh, some stuff like wires on his back and like a little thing sticking up. Yeah. The nice thing about it is that I actually have like on a, on an old uh, semi scratched CD record, the, the recording of the first Bruce Springsteen concert I ever went to. Uh, to I've, uh, David, I've seen pictures of you when you were 18 and you've got it. You've got the jean, like denim, sleeveless thing. You've got the bandana, and you. <laughs> you've, got your, you've got your tuber as well. <laughs> <laughs> you were you were full out. So I'll, I'll tell you. I mean, my story is is also family members. I have I have good uh, uncles and grandparents. So my uncle, I remember when I used to be really small in in living in Pakistan. We used to so the whole family lives in one house, and I remember like hanging out with him when he used to take care of me. Um, we'd go and hang out in his room and he, he'd sit there um, and we'd, we'd sort of sit back on bean, beanbag chairs. I must have been like five. And we'd listen to like Pink Floyd and Queen. He was into all this like classic rock, probably Springsteen, I don't remember it. But my granddad was always a big fan. In fact, the records that I have are, are his actually. Um, mm. And uh, he used to live in New York. And so, especially the sound of songs like Dancing in the Dark and Born in the USA always remind me of New York because we used to listen to them in, at, at his apartment. Mm. And um, he also used to have the greatest hits album lying around, and you know it's got it's got a picture of Springsteen. I think it's from the Born to Run photo sessions, and it's him facing away from the camera and the guitars sort of strapped across his back. And I remember when I was a little kid, I was like, "Can he play the guitar behind his back?" And my granddad was like, "Yep." Yeah, and I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, and then and then it was always there, and I wasn't sort of huge into it until later. It was a sort of Mm. I must have been 15, maybe 16, and I, I think I listened to Born to Run and Darkness. And Darkness always had a special thing for me even early on because where I used to live in Oxford was a place called Dean Court, which is on the edge of town. Like there's a there's a motorway sort of overpass and there's a there's a and whenever I hear that song, that's what I imagine because there is a moment where the street lights just stop. And that's what I hear, and I always it always felt like that song in particular connected to me because I knew I knew what it was like. Yeah, exactly. I physically yeah. knew what it was like to be on the at the darkness on the edge of town. I was uh, I was I was going to say I noticed a little bit of um, there's almost a punk feel uh, to some of the stuff on this album. There's mm. that 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 kind of um, rebellion, protest, um, like lament. Mm. at the state of things, like mm. not not necessarily in the music, obviously, just just a little bit of that that energy the slightly more complex uh punk bands like the clash mm. I, I got a bit yeah. of a feel from some songs yeah. and, and i think you can it, it sort of so he was always been that kind of obviously later he became a massive mainstream superstar but that was still like really born in the usa onwards up until yeah, then, I, he'd I been a fairly successful actor. Um, I thought this was an '80s album. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before I actually checked it, and then actually, and so it, it changed my perspective in terms of uh, being part of something and driving mm. uh, a change in sound. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, and and if you, I, I've seen um, 
a documentary called The Promise, which is about the making of um, Darkness on the Edge of Town. And that's an interesting one because he was saying that, you know, for example, drum sounds in particular of the 70s were very dry and he was getting fed up with that and he wanted to have a much bigger, more expansive sound. So they, they experimented with all sorts of things like putting it in concrete places and <laughs> getting trying to capture the echo. And they really do it. You know, in general, in the lift, some of the, some of the songs have really big, really big... Um, Ambience with it that isn't cheesy in the way that some of the later 80s stuff can be. Yeah, I don't mind the drum sound on this one. One of the things I'm I'm realizing is that the modern sounds that I like are directly attributable to the efforts that people like Springsteen and obviously mm. the Beatles mm. um, as well. There's, you know, there's hundreds of artists who but have pushed the envelope pushed, just yeah. that little bit. Exactly. And then they allow you to have that flexibility of, of actually going, right, I want this sound. I know exactly how to do it. Exactly. Now. It's all <laughs> the experimentation these guys have done. Uh, Glenn Johns with Tom Bonham mm. and and the Beatles and, you know, whoever. You, you have a whole history to fall back on a kind of that gives you a textbook of how you do it. You just have to figure out how they actually did it. Even if you don't know the exact like mic setup or whatever, you can at least go and listen to it and be like, okay, I want this sound. And at least that gives you something to strive for. And I think that's the important yeah. thing. I want more of that and then work out yeah. how to, how to uh, um, extract that. The um, uh, What you're saying earlier, as in about the, the way that the instruments all work together in this, like you can hear every single part absolutely mm. perfectly. Mm. Um, and it does, but it doesn't sound small. No, uh, at the same time, and, and uh, that's I think part of that is playing live and being a really good live band because they they give each other space. You know, when the organ has something to do, you can it'll be done a little bit by mixing as well. But people will do it instinctively as well when they're playing together. There'll someone will come and then the, everybody else sort of backs off just a tire that you sort of do the mixing for for the engineer that way. And it's just how people play together. Um, so you and it's it's very nice that you sort of hear one part of the run in like one instrument and then something else finishes off the phrase. Um, yeah, I was, was nice. going to say, actually, it's for a proper rock album, the guitar is only playing two-thirds of the time. Yeah, at least that, mm. that you can hear. It's probably there strumming away a little bit. But yeah, it's a lot of piano on this album. Mm. Mm. And what, what is conspicuous on this album is the lack of sax. Like, so yeah. Badlands has it, um, yeah. Privet All Night, and The Promised Land, and that's it. Mm -hmm. Whereas on Born to Run, every single song has a very strong horn element, if not saxophone. Um, mm. And... Mm. You know, there's like the sax solo in Jungle Land is like five minutes long. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's amazing for him. And, right? and 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 towards the end of his life, Clarence Clemens, you know, he was a bit debilitated, and he used to play most of the show from a chair. Well, I say chair is like if you look at photos a of it, it's, it's a throne basically. I see. Yeah. It. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but he used to get up as Jungle Land, you know, and he'd do his thing. Um, mm. But in this album, again, like just to focus back on what I was saying earlier, that it's it really must marks a kind of cusp in his career and his songwriting style and recording style and everything you know and yet is so natural and i think and i think having the sax there but not as much is kind of what does it because it links it back because the, the phrasing is similar to some of the solos in born to run the da -na 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 -na. it's a bit like say the beginning of night and these kind of things so it sort of links back but again it sort of fades away it's only there in very key moments of the songs, in very few songs, mm. but somehow still manages to dominate the album when it comes. It's the like small musical segment that really, really anyone who listens to the album will remember, right? Mm. Like, mm. well, for for me, uh, for me, it's the guitar solo in "Prove It All Night," 
because there is oh, a, there's okay. a sax solo and you think it's going to go oh, into yeah. a chorus or like a middle eight yeah, yeah, and then yeah, the yeah. guitar like comes out of nowhere and um bruce springsteen is a very underrated guitarist going back to what you were saying andy about pushing boundaries he has an incredibly driven guitar tone when he does solos it's like you know on the it's feeding back and it's and it's you know there are there are pinch harmonics and things like that in there and you're listening to it and you're going you don't expect that from what most people think bruce Springsteen is all about mm. but his guitar solos tend to be like this if you listen to that one or even in the second album the beginning of uh i don't know kitty's back or something it's just got it's like a massive it's like you really have to crank the gain to get the same tone and you need it and you need a telecaster or an esquire back then there weren't that many people using that much say gain or drive that's an impression i got in terms of obviously when you think of bruce springsteen he is one of the biggest like handful of artists of all time but when you listen to that and you consider the time it was released it it's it's out there it's not kind of going for middle of the road at all this is this is more a generalized thing sometimes you forget where artists come from when you just know them as this big like everyone mm. likes them it it certainly challenged me in terms of uh, my perception of bruce springsteen like listen to this it didn't reinforce any single stereotype i had about him whatsoever <laughs> it is interesting like when you think about the public perception of springsteen because i like I think after Born in the USA is that obviously he became incredibly famous, but then friends of mine who don't know him particularly well, they know that he won the Oscar for Streets of Philadelphia, which mm. came later, and No Songs from the Rising. And so, like, a lot of his kind of more famous stuff, I suppose, actually comes later. But then I think when you do get to, to know him a bit better, you do find that I think the, 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 the real gems do come earlier on. Yeah, he really rewards you if you sort of go back into his back catalogue. Yeah, know, sometimes exactly. Some artists, they don't, they're kind of nothing and then suddenly they get something. But mm. in his case, it, it's really rewarding because you can, each album has its own flavour. So one thing about about Darkness on the Edge of Town, and I think as in you first made me aware of this, but one thing I find... I find really interesting about Springsteen, and especially in the context of Spotify and very modern ways to listen to music. When when a new album is released, you you don't necessarily have to listen to it in any order. You don't want to. You can just pick a song. You can shuffle play or whatever. And often, you know, I I don't certainly listen to every song on a, on your album that I listen to. I, I should do, but I, I I'm guilty of not doing that. Yeah. Whereas I think with a lot of albums before the internet and things, is that the order of the tracks is really important. And I Absolutely. think Springsteen especially and Darkness in Your Town is, is, a, is a great example. And what I love is how, you know, you have side A and side B of the vinyl and how five tracks on each side and both track A and track B start with a very optimistic, very kind of energetic pumping song. So it's Badlands um, on mm. side A and it's The Promised Land on side B. But then both of them finish with actually a very sad, very hopeless... Almost cynical. I mean, cynical, racing in the streets. you're racing on the streets on one side and then, and uh, then Darkness on the town. town. Yeah. Um, which, and I just think there's a real beauty of that, the way that they're kind of finished off by this just really haunting song. Just, so, like, I totally agree. There is a surprising amount of thought needs to be put into the actual running order. And which songs, you know, like we were saying, he had so many songs to pick from and he would have shuffled them around a lot and figured out what goes where and spent ages throwing out songs and swapping them out and, I don't know, testing it out by listening mm. through and seeing if it has had what he was going for and that, that's mm. that step beyond a great collection of songs like a great set list mm. and a great album is yeah. that that effort you put into thinking about how you control the mood through the playing time mm. it doesn't feel like you're cutting it doesn't feel like you're sort of changing the the, the camera 
you know, the perspective. It's just that that camera, that first person view is just moving and going into a different bedroom window and into a, a different front seat of a mm. car or into mm. a factory. And there's that continuity, which is so effective. I, I wonder what, 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 what room of a house Adam raised a cane would correspond <laughs> to. The, I, I, I mean, like, in a way, I totally agree with you, but, like, there is this one exception, which is, like, this, for the time being, like, extremely heavy hard rock song that yeah. just comes as the second track, right? I mean, thematically, you're right. It, it, it belongs to the kind of same story that he's, mm. he's trying to because tell. Because there's a, there's a, there is a kind of anger or a rage bubbling underneath on all this kind of frustration and and cynicism and i think it spills over into that in that track but it's it's beautifully it's beautifully offset by something in the night you see mm. you have this moment of rage and then it sort of just calms down and the mm. intro for something in the night is one of the best like just the yeah. way it builds up it starts really small and it just has this like piano thing figure that keeps repeating and then the drums are doing, he's doing a roll and it just gets and the voice starts you know, escalating. Kind of it's, it's really like well controlled. Howl. It's really well done, and then the yeah. then the song kind of kicks off. And th- that's another thing with this album is that the dynamics are amazing. Like the difference between the in just in volume between the first verse of Streets of, Streets of Fire and the chorus is is massive, and you wouldn't hear that these days. It's really quiet, and then suddenly it's like. <laughs> it comes in like it comes and hammers you a bit um and i think that's just sort of old school fader moving this is how you do it and it just feels great and it's one of those that in a car you might lose the first verse because it's not really loud enough and uh, david's nodding because he's but he's, he's, but, he's, but, <laughs> but, but but you will hear the second one you'll for hear sure. the second one for sure because <laughs> because what you'll do what, what will inevitably happen is that you go oh, i can't really hear it so you, you crank it up and then the chorus hits and it becomes massive it hits them hard so you guys have you guys have kind of touched upon the kind of juvenile happiness of the first albums of Bruce and mm-hmm. kind of how in, in, in Darkness on the Edge of Town you realize, or you realize as a listener to the album that he's realized or come to terms with the fact that like... Dreams don't necessarily come true. Yeah, exactly. And, and that that is fine, right? That, mm. That's kind of like... Badlands, it's, it's very much like that, right? But it's also mm. a very hopeful song. Mm. The music is hopeful and there's like a hopeful kind of message behind this that like things things might not work out as you hoped or and, and mm. you might not succeed the river definitely continues that theme um. yeah. no no I, I i again want to kind of pivot back to this adam raised the cane which kind of <laughs> mm. confuses me a bit in the album i i love the song i love that it's there but for me it's kind of a an inherently pessimistic and uh, like both towards your surrounding and to, towards himself, like it's it's very mm. like mm. like well, he's the he, cane he in, this, some, in this exactly, scenario, and uh, which is not yeah. like the best character in the Bible, right? Like, uh, <laughs> but also you you inherit you you inherit the sins, right? Yeah. So he also like, and it's very like kind of like I don't know blames, but he acknowledges that his father has had this time wise detrimental effect on his upbringing, and but mm. he also acknowledges his own part in that yeah. and and how he's carried on with the same kind of yeah that yeah. How, how he now yeah. can relate to 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 a lot of it that's almost what adulthood is yeah is coming yeah. to terms with your part in your relationship with your parents mm. yeah. but adam raised the cane it's also like it's it's very angry and it's yeah. very pessimistic but it's also very respectful in a way yeah it's quite mature yeah. In terms yeah. of being able to think of it in that level of metaphor, and obviously in context of his uh, Catholic school upbringing as well, mm. 
uh, clearly. It's, I was thinking while I was listening to that, I'd love to have a little bit more biblical knowledge so that I could really understand what he's getting at. Yeah. <laughs> Cain was the bad one. Is that all yeah. you really need to know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm aware that you three could probably uh, go for another four or five hours, particularly if we got you a few pints. But uh, um, can I ask, if you had to pick a favorite song from the album, what would you go for? I, I mean, I would go for Badlands. That's, I, I think, for, for reasons that have been touched upon. But basically, I think because of the kind of dark but hopeful message and, and because of the music in it, because mm-hmm. I think the music in that song is, 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 is something absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great energy in that one. Mm. I'm going to give you a bit of a woolly answer, Andy, which you probably won't appreciate. But um, <laughs> if I were to pick my my desert island song like song that Mm. i could listen to most frequently it would be the promised land i think that um in terms of like the this the the best song the one that's most powerful i think probably would either be either be racing in the street but i think i would go for the darkness on the edge of town to be the most powerful one um just in terms of just everything the imagery and the the lyrics that the the the, the change and in the, tone and the, and exactly the, the way the song builds up and down while you guys are talking about it i'm sitting here sweating because i don't know what my answer is <laughs> yeah, ever since ever so since, ever since we said we're going to do darkness i've been trying to figure it out it's been like months <laughs> and i still don't know i'm sitting here and i'm looking at the, the the back of the album and i'm like uh for example we haven't really talked about candy's room but candy's room is incredible but i think i think for me it is darkness on the edge of town as well it's exactly what you guys were just saying about things don't work out and you just accept them and I, that song is partly why it wraps up the album so well is that is it is that you know it's like um uh, there's that lyric where he says now i lost my money and i lost my wife them things don't seem to matter much to me now yeah. um and it kind of becomes big and it has this big emotion but then it, it just becomes mm. smaller and it plays the opening sort of riff again the dum dum kind okay. of thing yeah, yeah. It's, you're right. Like you think it should be a sad song, right? But yeah. but it's it's not it's inherently not, yeah. sad. Yeah. Like, like there are sad things in it. Yeah, right? there are sad things in it, but it's weirdly life affirming because that's what life is. And like yeah. what Adel was uh, Andy was saying, it's just adulthood. And I think that's it's probably my favorite song in the album. And out of the ones that mm. I like, sort of play when I by myself playing guitar, it's probably the one out of this album that I play the most. Mm. So that's that's why I, I'm giving it as my answer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm going to go for Adam Raised a Cane. I don't know it as uh, as well as you guys, but if I were to instantly go, right, which song could you pick out as and hold aloft slightly separately? That might be the one. So so in that way, it's a very auspicious song. Mm. It's very auspicious in that it's, like, like you said, it gives a bit of backstory about, say, the character or characters of this album, but also him himself mm. Um, mm-hmm. without being completely like totally autobiographical yeah. it's almost like a present inside a present to unwrap later yeah i would probably wager that that's generally the way that most people approach listening to music because you can't understand a full story the first time you listen to uh, a song but you can say oh i like the music mm-hmm. and then you get further into it and then the stuff that has the real staying power is the ones where all of these different elements have been considered and put together i mean lines will jump out at you and you'll get some of them and you'll go oh, okay this is what the song is about but i find the best stuff you have to like chew on it a little bit and maybe come mm. back and listen to it again and, yeah. and and really get a feel for what it's going for and that's and the best albums always have that. I can, I can listen, like, like I'll, Andy, you were saying you've listened to it six times today. <laughs> right. I, I'm the same. I can put it on anytime, any, any place. Mm. And like a lot of things, if I've just listened to it, I'm like, I don't want to listen to it again. But like right after this, I might just put it on again. You know, it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm yeah. literally like, I've got to go listen to Adam Ray's the Cane again. Cause like <laughs> I've been thinking about it. 
Mm. Yeah, we uh, well, uh, if you are listening, we recommend that you go do the same as well uh, mm. to reflect on that. Also, uh, let us know what you think. Um, drop us a uh, an email. We'll put loads of information in the show notes. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, uh, David and Max. Uh, anything you guys would like to plug uh, or make people aware of that you are up to? Um, my life is so boring otherwise, not really. Um, so new kittens. New kittens, yeah. Um, okay. And that- any tips Any tips on like catnip-obsessed kittens and <laughs> how to de-golemize a uh, catnip-obsessed uh, <laughs> kitten? <laughs> uh, I, 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 I think I'd like to finish with like a personal story. It's, it's about my uncle who, 2013, he, he went up to Stockholm to see Bruce on, on his tour then. And um, he went with his... Uh, with his wife and my cousin and and Bruce played the entire Darkness on the Edge of Town album um, in one go, after which he he continued to take requests from the audience. And my uncle's friend that I mentioned before, who who runs this this record shop, he unfortunately couldn't get the ticket. So he was back in his shop working, super sad because Darkness is his favorite album. And then half an hour later three people walk in in his vinyl shop and then it's bruce's two kids and a friend of theirs so he ended up spending that that whole whole evening with with those kids and i think it's a bit silly but it kind of ties to this feel of darkness of the edge of town that like oh if if things don't go the way 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 they're planned like things might change and it might not be too bad and and you might just you might just get lucky That's that's pretty cool. Uh, I love that. Yeah, that's really nice. Um, thanks, uh, thanks a lot for having me, guys. It's yeah. been super interesting no, hearing I, I, about we, Max, we, Andy, and Azan's thoughts about uh, about the album. It's been, it's been really nice for me to be able to just let you three kind of bring your like clearly how deeply uh, <laughs> Bruce has. Uh, Kind of well, we'll give you, you. We'll give you like really another nice. year or two, and then we'll come back and talk to us. <laughs> You'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, as in anything uh, you wanted to add? Uh, so not not too much at this point because we've just sort of finished off a couple of songs that need to be mastered, um, and they're going to be in our email chain. So you guys should sign up because they're not going to go out on Spotify and things. Okay. They're going to be um, secret, if you like, or exclusive. So it'll be in the notes or on our pages. Um, so that's gonna, that's all exciting. Um, as I was saying earlier, we're also writing stuff, and I'm actually like champing at the bit to actually start playing it again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so look out for a sort of longer release in uh, 2021. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, give us five stars, whatever you normally do with your favorite podcasts. And uh, we will see you again soon. Thanks, everyone. Bye. All right, then. Welcome to the Music Book Club, brought to you by Automatic Panic. In each episode, we choose an album, listen to it, and talk about it. I'm Andy Payne. With me is Asin Khan. Hello. And our guest today, did I say guest or guests? I couldn't tell. I'm going to do that again. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is good. It's, it's lowering it's my nerves. Ner- ner- yeah, I'm less and less nervous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, that's, guys. It's that's exactly what this is supposed to yeah. do. Right. <laughs> yeah.